Hello and welcome to episode 10 of series 3 of the Poolside Pass podcast. This is the final episode in the third series of our podcast. I just want to kick off by apologising for kind of a a two-week delay on releasing this episode. Uh, For one reason or another, um, production of of the final episode just took a little bit longer uh, than anticipated. Uh, But finally, we're here with the final episode in this series and we're joined again uh, in series three by Chris Ritter, who is the founder of uh, Ritter Sports Performance and also um, Surge Strength Dryland Certification, a strength and conditioning dryland certification um, for swimming coaches that's, that's very swimming specific. Um, today, we're going to be discussing with Chris uh, the topic of injury prevention and how important dryland programs are in, in helping athletes with injury prevention. But before we get stuck into that interview, here's a quick line from our sponsors, Streamlined. Become a qualified swimming teacher with Streamlined in as little as six days. Learn at your own pace and be guided by our expert tutors. You can do your training face-to-face, online in real time, or a combination of the two. Assessment can be in your club using videos or attending one of our assessment venues. We offer tailored, high-quality support. Quote the poolside pass for an extra 10% discount. Okay, so I think it's about time we welcome Chris back to the podcast. Chris Ritter, welcome back. How are you getting on? Hey, Jamie. Thanks. Excited to be back with you guys. So why don't you just give us a quick update about, you know, since the last time you came on the show, what's happened with uh, the Surge Strength Dryland program? Yeah, it's it's been awesome. It's crazy to think it hasn't even been a year. You know, we just crossed the the year anniversary for a lot of people with COVID and when their life changed and is anything ever going to go back to normal and all that stuff. And I remember at, that, at this point, almost a year ago, we were doing a bunch of free webinars. And I remember distinctively saying, hey, who knows what's going to happen, right? This could be a, a few days, a few weeks, a few months. No, I don't think anybody would predict we were going to be out of the water for as long as some of us were. But I said, hey, you are going to underestimate how much you can gain in terms of strength and dryland ability over the next year. And you're going to don't look back in a year from now and regret, I didn't do something during this time, especially if you were out of the water for extended a period of time. And it's cool. One coach uh, in particular that went through the certification is now SSDC. They sent a, a picture of a swimmer when you know, lockdown started about a year ago, she could barely hang on the bar, you know, had big thick band trying to help her do pull-ups. And now they sent me a video. She's doing four or five body weight pull-ups up and down great form. And they're like, look what happened, you know, just by us doing it on a day in day out basis. And I think people, you know, I think it's common saying of people overestimate what they can do in the near term and underestimate what they can do in the long term. And I think dryland really falls into that where if you have a plan and it may not be the most complicated plan, but if you just follow the basics and are just consistent with it, like this coach was with this swimmer, I mean, that's a huge difference. Barely being able to hang on the bar to now pulling your body weight up and down four or five times, that's going to be incredible when she actually starts racing again. So we're getting now to kind of, it's like you say, you've kind of gone for a whole 12 month kind of cycle with it. Yeah. Where is, where is the program headed now? 
Yeah, so we've made a, a little bit of changes now. We've almost had uh, a couple hundred coaches enroll from all, countries all over the world. Jimmy, I was a little embarrassed. I didn't know where some of these countries were on the map. I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that existed. So, I mean, that's cool for us that we're helping coaches everywhere. But what we realized is it was kind of scattered once people got in. And the point for us is not just that they buy and it's like, great, you bought, you know, good luck. We want to help move them through as much as possible. And we know sometimes schedules or they just feel overwhelmed still, or maybe they have some questions about what they're trying to learn. So we've structured it a little bit differently. So now it's very similar to university or college course where you can only enroll a certain time of the year. And at the end of April here upcoming will be our next open enrollment to become surge strength dryland certified and be able to put those SSDC credentials behind your name. So we're excited about that. And for even more coaches, and honestly, we've had a lot of master swimmers that self-coach themselves as well, go through it. Um, even parents that just kind of want to know what their kid's doing and help them a little bit. So not just for coaches, for everyone listening. So we're, we're excited to see how many more people in the next year we can help. And if by the time coaches get to the end of the episode, if, you know, if they feel like the surge strength dialing certification is something that, that they want to, they want to kind of explore and, and get on with, you can find out loads of information about that. Um, not only at our website, the poolsidepass.com, there's a little pop-up that appears on the screen uh, when you, when you log onto that website, but also over at Chris's website and Chris, can you just give the details for that real quick? Yeah, surgestrength.com. And if you want to go straight to the certification, it's surgestrength.com slash certification. And Jamie, I know you're going to be putting out more info, but the, the open enrollment date will actually be that Monday, April 26th. So mark it on your calendars. It's only going to be for limited time because we think having a big group enter and then a few days later, close the doors and help everybody kind of go through. I think that's going to end up being a lot more coaches kind of passing that final exam and getting through. So we're working on a lot of stuff on the background right now in the weeks coming up to, but we're excited to help a lot more coaches and swimmers. Cool. So, you know, if you're listening and you think it's something you could be interested in, you know, staying tuned, not only to our, to, to our social channels, but also, um, you know, follow, follow Chris's channels as well. And there'll be lots of information, obviously, running up to that April 26th deadline. Um, today, we're going to be speaking about injury prevention on our main, main topic. Um, now, this is something that, you know, I've, I wanted to speak to, to Chris about because uh, like, like many coaches, I've, I've started on, on Chris's certification and there's, you know, lots of good stuff in there about how we as coaches can, can help minimize the risk uh, of injury within our swimmers by what we do do on land. Chris, what are your experiences with kind of injury prevention as, as a dry land coach? Yeah, honestly, Jamie, this is what sparked my passion. If I could go back and trace it and it was myself getting injured in dry land because I was doing it poorly, uh, didn't have the best program, didn't have the best knowledge around that program for other parts and really almost wasted a season of my career at a pretty crucial point in my swimming career. And looking back, it is just a shame that kids go through that because coaches aren't educating themselves of how to best help their swimmers. And I, I don't think it's their intention to do that, right? I don't think a coach sets out to be like, I'm going to be ignorant about this and watch it, you know, delay my swimmer's progress and, you know, maybe have them injured and maybe have them leave the sport. I don't think any coach sets out with that mindset, right? I, I know you're a coach. I was a coach for a long time on a daily basis, and we want to see our athletes succeed. We see the potential in them oftentimes yeah. a lot more or sooner 
then the athletes can see it themselves. And I think dry land in particular, and you know, for the, especially in the States, we've had some meets now in the past few months, Jamie, there's no drop-off in times. If anything, times are even faster than I think a lot of us would have expected. Yeah. And so I think it goes back to there's real potential if you can unlock the dry land puzzle. And if you can figure out how do I move these pieces around to complement what we're doing in the water and not fight against it um, or end up with injuries where the kids aren't even in the water. And if the kids aren't in the water, Jamie, I don't know about you, but as a coach, I can't get them much better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a real challenge with that. Um, so if we talk about injuries in particular, I always like to think about the finish line first before the starting line. So with a swimmer's body, I think there are three main things as a goal for dry land that you should be doing. One, have them be mobile. And that means in a safe way to on land, because we know in the water, that mobility may help you get in a catch position faster. But if you're not paying attention to certain exercises or how you're programming it on land, if you're moving weight around and all of a sudden you're in a compromised position, that can end poorly. So we want to be aware of that. But obviously having mobility, especially around the shoulders, is a critical point for swimmers. The second one I would say is having a strong core midsection. And that's to connect that energy from the fingertip all the way through the toes. And the more rigid you can be in the center, the faster you're going to cut through the water. And I think every, every everybody can see the value in that, right? We decrease strokes. We're getting more distance off the turn. And then the last one is if I can get a swimmer to have the highest strength to body mass ratio. So you think about an example of that would be pull-ups. That's probably the king exercise in terms of evaluating how strong are you versus how much you weigh. And in a sport like swimming, where there's so much more resistance in the water than if we're running around on land with air, that's, that's critical to have that high strength to body mass ratio. So mobility, strong core, being strong relative to your body weight. Those are the things that I want to end up with. And some swimmers start off a little bit ahead than others, but that's kind of the, the starting point, Jamie. I think you say that, you know, those are the things you want to end up with. And you said everyone starts at kind of different, different places. That's, that's, a really, that's a really important factor. But also to remember, no matter what point you're starting at, the, everyone's coach's goal is to make someone else just a little bit better. So no matter where you're starting at, there's always somewhere to go. There's always somewhere to get better. And that's so important, right? Jamie, I feel like you're reading my notes. That was literally the next thing I was going to say is, is what I, what I tell coaches is it doesn't matter what level of kid you're coaching, right? Like I've coached swimmers that were trying to beat world records, win Olympic gold medals. And I've coached kids who literally didn't know how to put on a jammer for the first time, right? Like that, that's the, that's the levels that I've seen. And I can tell you no swimmer on either end of that spectrum or anywhere in between is raising their hand saying, coach, I want to be injured. So I can't enjoy the sport as much, right? Like nobody's saying that. And so their value that they get out of the sport, maybe it's to the enjoyment factor and maybe it's to chasing gold medals. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about swimming on some level. And I'm sure that injuries are not going to be a part of that. But the, the problem, Jamie, is that I don't think people realize it in terms of what I've termed, termed the internal struggle of the swimmer. And I'm not sure if you've gotten through this point yeah, in yeah, the certification yeah. yet, but I bring it up pretty early because I think it's a big point for people to wrap their mind around. And what I mean by this is if we just take an average swimmer, 
And let's just say they take 14 strokes, 14 hand hits to get through a lap of the pool. Well, if you're doing a 4,000 yard practice, which I think is about average, that's 160 laps. So that's 2,000 strokes in a practice. In one week, you're at 13,000 movements on your shoulder. In one month, you're at 57,000. In a year, you're almost at 700,000 strokes. So that if you do anything, Jamie, 700,000 times, you're laying down some pretty deep patterns. Yeah. And you know, if your technique is off just a little bit, well, 12 times, it's not going to make a difference. 700,000. I mean, and this is where we get, oh, just the shoulders are achy. I got to put ice on them after, you know, it's just, it's just kind of talking to me. And so that I feel like needs to be front and center in everyone's mind as both a coach and a swimmer, that this is what you're up against, whether you're thinking about it or not, this is happening on a regular basis. Uh, you know, obviously, except for the people that have been out of the water for a few months, like my friends across the pond. But in normal setting, this is something you need to factor in to the equation is that I am fighting this battle for as long as I have swimmers in the water. And how you program dry land, the first line of defense, I feel like you need to make sure having those ratios in terms of pushing to pulling, because how the muscles are set up on the body, even though uh, it's, it's pulling in terms of swimming. It's really a pushing exercise in terms of how we would categorize the movements and the muscles that are being involved in that. So it's really important on dry land to make sure you counteract that as almost your first thing in terms of rows and pull-ups are the best things. Because if you can't have a swimmer stay in the water consistently week after week, month after month, season after season, you're always going to be leaving potential improvement on the table. And so I feel like dryland is that first line of defense in terms of that struggle that swimmers and coaches face every day. So, you know, you've been working with, like you say, you've worked with a really broad range of athletes uh, across your career. And you've been working within not only swimming coaching, but also on, on the dryland side for, for quite some time now. What are some of the common problems that, that you see swimmers facing in terms of injury, in terms of the key joints, the key muscles? What tends to break down most, most often in, in swimmers? Yeah, I think it really is three different scenarios. I think the first is poor technique. And as a swim coach, I would hope you would appreciate good technique in the water. And so therefore you should appreciate good technique on dry land as well. Um, a famous strength coach once said, uh, you know, if it looks, if it looks like crap, it's probably crap. So you trust your eyes, right? Like if it, if it doesn't look good, even if you don't have a background in exercise science, right? Even if you haven't become surge strength dry land certified, if you're looking at that, you're like, I don't think that's the best looking pushup. You're probably right. Like you have a coach's eye. So I trust that already. So don't let your kids, any type of swimmer, whether they're eight, 28, 88, get away with bad technique. And I feel some coaches are kind of like, oh, well, I'll just let it slide because we need to get a little bit more weight or we need to get a little bit more reps. Don't sacrifice that stuff because it starts small. And then all of a sudden something's going to snap. Something's going to not feel right. And now you're out for a few weeks. The other thing I would say is coaches and or swimmers. And I think this is where my problem was a combination of all of these three, but too much too fast. So again, underestimate what you can achieve in a year, but don't overestimate what you can achieve today or this week. One workout won't make you, but one workout absolutely can break you as a swimmer. And so be aware of that is I'd rather stack a bunch of great 
or not great, a bunch of good workouts back to back to back, then have a great workout, no great workouts for another week, great workout. I mean, this is the same thing in the water, right? Like this is not complicated theories we're talking about here, Jamie. And then the last one is in balance. And that can be both from a structural standpoint. Maybe swimmers are, are kind of have their shoulders to one side. Maybe there's some postural issues. But then the other thing within balance is, like I talked about before, the ratios. So if those ratios are off in how you're programming your push, your pull category, your squat, your hinge, those are the big uh, ratios we want to pay attention to when we're programming dry land. If those are off, even a little bit over the long term, that's going to get worse and worse. So I think those are kind of the big three categories coaches and swimmers need to pay attention to what, where injuries come from, so to speak. So we, we've spoken about, you know, how no one wants to spend time out of the water for injury, because when you're out of the water and you're not swimming as you know, you can't make as much progress in the water, which if you're not in the water is, it really is, really is that simple. When athletes do get injured, uh, they often have to go for, you know, really lengthy, you know, rehab, programs to get them back into into the pool i don't want to spend loads of time talking about rehab today because i think today really is about kind of prehab but when we're talking about rehab what are those kind of key parts to a good rehab program if someone's returning from injury to make sure they don't skip out any any of those parts yeah i think it's it's going back to the basics because I know I, as both a swimmer and as a coach have experienced this and, and please learn from my mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes I did, but I feel the cycle that happens, especially in swimming is kid gets injured. They stop swimming. There is a, a very shortened rehab or healing process because I'm missing time in the water, right? I got to get back in the water, start swimming again. Oh, wow. The re-injury occurs. Who, who could see that coming? And now we're in the cycle again, Right. And I just want to make sure you're aware that this is the cycle you're just going to keep repeating if you keep doing the same thing. So let's do something different. So if you are injured, know that, okay, let's, let's say it's a shoulder injury, for example, right? Pretty common swimming injury. Don't just sit on the couch and say, all right, well, I'm just going to be here and relax and then go to rehab and then just go back on the couch. Still just being active. The body is a very interesting uh, system in that if you do like let's say a leg exercise, or especially if we go back to the shoulder example, if my right shoulder is really hurt, if I did exercises on my left shoulder, Jamie, believe it or not, the right shoulder actually benefits from that. The body can't differentiate sometimes between sides of the body. So especially if you have one side injured, I wouldn't go overboard, but you can work the other side of the body in a normal way. And it actually helps the healing process. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical therapist. I don't pretend to play one. So obviously follow any specific advice, but I would say overall, try to keep being as active as you can, but making sure whatever injury or area you're trying to, to let heal, let that heal, but don't be afraid to work other parts of your body. And I think if you can be creative in that, that's going to help the healing process accelerate in a positive way. And then the other thing in terms of the big picture, if I think about, especially like the big sports in America over here, American football, basketball, a lot of star players when they've been injured and out for an extended period of time, nowadays they're coming back faster, stronger, better, especially from things like ACL tears or all these other things, the injuries that used to you know, derail or end careers 10 to 15 years ago. And I think what that's showing is again, the power of a good strength and conditioning program, a good dry land program 
can build an athlete's body up to be so strong and powerful. It can even be better after the injury. And oftentimes it takes an injury for the athlete and coach to sit down and say, okay, let's focus on just this, right? Because if you're injured and you're not able to swim, well, all you have left is whatever you can do on land in terms of rehab. And if you have a good physical therapist, a good practitioner, whoever you're working with, they can craft a program to build your body up and use that to come back even stronger than before. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's, that's kind of as much as we want to go into today on, on rehab, because, you know, the aim is for people not to need rehabilitation programs and for them to have, you know, an adequate strength and conditioning program in place where that this, you know, more preventative and you know, something we even call it, call it prehab. We spoke like, I think a couple of questions back and said about how you might put some ice on a shoulder. You know, we see that as, you know, that's after that's, that's masking the problem, right? That's not, mm -hmm. that's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to mask the problem. If you're, if you're a swimmer, there's a, someone now listening that, that knows of someone that's just icing up their shoulders or, you know, with their knees or, or, or anything, what, and this is not going to be much use for them. I know now they're injured, but what, what preventative techniques uh, would have been really important in preventing that situation? Yeah. So especially with the shoulder, let's stay with that, Jamie, because I feel like that's a, that's a good example, especially most swimmers have shoulder issues at some point. And a thing I always tried to educate coaches and swimmers about that I feel they were pretty hesitant to accept is if a muscle or movement is weaker or on the weaker side of the spectrum, it is more likely to get injured. And so what happens is coaches and swimmers think, okay, shoulders, they're really important. We don't want them to get injured. Let's not do anything overhead, right? Let's not, let's not overload the shoulders. Well, then what happens is now these muscles aren't as strong. Now I'm going into the pool. I'm doing my 70,000 movements a week, right? 700,000 in a year. And all of a sudden the volume adds up. Okay. Oh, who could see this coming when the muscle is weak and I keep asking it to do a lot of things, it suddenly gets injured. So it's the fine line of making sure you're working those muscles in a safe and appropriate way. So if I have a swimmer that has severe restrictions in terms of their overhead movement on the shoulder, I'm obviously going to be very aware of that and progress or program exercise at like a level one. So in our certification, we break down, you know, there's millions of exercises, right? And this is where the overwhelm happens. Well, we put in into three categories, level one, two, and three. And based off of where the swimmers assess, you can then see as a coach, okay, what level do they fall in and what's the appropriate exercises? So again, if I have a swimmer with severe restrictions in their shoulder, we can still get the shoulders stronger in a safe way. Whereas if I have a swimmer over here, clear, move shoulders, great. I can challenge him even more. And as a coach, I think that's sometimes the missing link of knowing where do my athletes fall? And especially if I'm training them in a group, you can know all of them are not dealing with the same issues, right? Or have the same restrictions or strengths. And so being able to individualize group training is going to help injury prevention even more and get all your kids strong, whether they have a severe restriction in their shoulder or they're all clear to go and we can do any exercise on the menu there. So in terms of, you know, some athletes, when they rock up to either a gym session or a pool session, they'll go through some kind of um, pre-session mobility activation, all that kind of stuff. What exercises, if it was, you know, your athletes turning up to these sessions, what kind of exercises would you want these athletes to be including those kind of pre-session routines to, 
to help them kind of keep injuries away. Yeah. So let's stay with the shoulder example, Jamie, that we've been going with. So if I had a swimmer that, you know, maybe their shoulders, uh, so the, the shoulder assessment test, if you can visualize this, both hands straight out to the side, you can take your right hand underneath and back behind your back, your left hand over top behind your head. And you're trying to have them touch how close can they get? Okay. And then you're going to do it on the other side. So whatever arm is going underneath, that's the side that we're scoring. If you can get within a fist to a fist and a half, you're good. If you're outside of that, okay, we need to deal with that issue. So let's say a swimmer can touch on one side, but can't touch on the other. Let's say it's that right shoulder that can't touch. So especially that in my mind for starting a session, whether it's pool or dry land, Jamie. So even before the pool, I would try to do this activation to help them with that eternal struggle. They're about to jump in the water and start, right? So two great exercises. If you have access to a kettlebell or dumbbells, kettlebells I prefer because the off-centeredness helps a little bit with the effectiveness of the exercise. But doing something like a halo exercise where if I'm holding the kettlebell by the horns, I try to just rotate the kettlebell around my head as close as possible, like a halo. And that movement, it may not look like a lot, but that's really helping those small muscles around the shoulder fire up. And you don't need a lot of weight, Jamie. Even let's say if you don't have access to weights, just take a gallon jug of water, milk, whatever you have, and just move that around. Even that weight will be enough to just activate those muscles a little bit. Because if they are lit up and you had the term activation there, if the brain is sending signals to them and kind of firing them up at a higher level, then what we need in the pool, that's a good thing because now they're, they're warmed up, they're ready for it. What you don't want is for those muscles to get woken up all of a sudden, trying to be activated in the pool, which is cold. <laughs> and it's making those muscles even colder than they were before. And if you already have a shoulder that's kind of, uh, I'm not sure how great a function it is, you're just setting your swimmer up. It may not be today, it may not be next week, but at some point, something is going to happen. And as a coach, I can't have that on my conscience of continuing to do something that has a greater chance of injury happening than not. So the halo is one exercise. The other exercise is a waiter carry. Again, I prefer it with a kettlebell, but you could do it with a dumbbell. And I like a weight where you need two hands to push it up. So I only have the kettlebell in one hand. I use two hands and a little kind of a, a jump, jump squat to push it up and then let that shoulder blade or that shoulder uh, ball of my shoulder sink into the socket. So shoulder blade sliding down my back. I want it sunk in and just walking 10, 20 yards, turn around 10, 20 yards. Doesn't have, I want it to be a slow pace. I want it to be controlled. And again, this exercise isn't going to look like anything spectacular or like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. Oh, that must be so hard. But what it's doing is, especially for a swimmer with shoulder issues, it's lighting up all those stabilizer muscles. So now you have recruited them at a greater level than you're going to need in the water. So now we put the swimmer in a safer situation and I'm not as worried as a shoulder issue popping up during the practice. It's when coaches don't pay attention to that. And then you hop in the cold water and you think you're going to warm up. It's not going to work. If anything, that's where injuries more likely to occur in cold, stiff tissue. So in terms of that, the, the shoulder assessment test, the, the kettlebell halo, and then mm -hmm. the weight to carry, um, are those, I know you've got a, a kind of a, a YouTube channel with a load of exercises on. Can, can listeners find those exercises oh, yeah. on that YouTube and, channel? And 
Yeah. And actually the first playlist, Jamie is shoulder mobility exercises for swimmers. So, <laughs> you know, there, there's a number one thing. I think the number two playlist is core exercises for swimmers. So, I mean, all that stuff's for free. Yeah. We literally have at this point, it's almost, I think 1500 or 2000 exercises on the YouTube page. But again, I don't say that to overwhelm coaches because you need a system to kind of understand what exercise is appropriate for what swimmer. It's not about scrolling through Instagram or YouTube. And I know I've gotten you know caught up in this as well. So I'm not saying I'm immune to this, but seeing an exercise and oh, that's so flashy. That's so, that looks so fun. You need to think about what's the purpose it's serving. Is it appropriate for the level of athletes that I'm doing? And is it appropriate for the time of the season? Don't just do it, you know, later today at your dryland session because you're scrolling through Instagram before practice and saw this exercise. Hey kids, let's try this. You, you need to have a plan because that's where injuries happen when you're just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that kids don't get injured and that it works. I think that kind of the, the Instagram stuff, I think when you see something cool like that on Instagram, it might be a drill, it might be a land exercise and coaches sometimes just try and just do loads of that because the best in the world are doing that exercise or do loads of that. What, what we miss sometimes is the fact that, you know, a, a program is a bit like, you know, a, a cake. If you try and make a cake, you know, those kind of fancy things that they throw on Instagram, that's your hundreds and thousands, your icing that goes on top of the cake. You know, if you have to have a cake that's got loads of icing on it, it's going to make you sick. Yeah. You want to have the cake in there as well. And that's the foundations that you've got to lay. And you don't see that on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying as I think where it comes from for coaches is they want their kids to be excited about dryland. Right. And I hear from a lot of coaches, the kids aren't. And I think what it goes back to is coaches don't have the knowledge or the confidence. I think it's one or the other or both. And when that happens, the kids sense that. They can kind of feel that, right? The coach probably knows what they're doing in the water. They know the sets, they know the technique. So that's not the issue. And I think that's where a lot of this disconnect, disengagement comes from where the athletes, they can sense the coach really doesn't know what they're doing, right? They're like, yeah, this coach, I know he just thought of this five minutes before he walked into this dryland session. And so the coach then thinks, man, my athletes aren't engaged. I got to get some fancy exercise, some th- something to get them excited about. That'll get them engaged. When it's really, you need to invest in yourself as a coach to get more knowledge and to get more confidence or both. And then your kids are going to feel that. They're going to feed off that. And then they're going to start coaching each other and buy in. And all of a sudden, you're going to have high levels of engagement and improvement and you didn't change the program. You changed what's inside your head as a coach in terms of your knowledge and confidence. Because Jamie, I'll tell you, some of the most successful dryland programs I've done, it's not going to impress anybody. It's not going to wow them in terms of the workouts I show them on paper or the exercise that we did. But I'm more worried about wowing by the results and not by what we're actually doing in the workout. Hmm. I think... Um... I think no matter what kind of field you're in, if it's dry land, if it's in the water, if it's whatever, whatever field you're in, you're going to be, you're going to get some fantastic results. If you just do the basics really well all the time, if you always nail the basics, then, then that's, as far as I'm concerned, you know, excellence is getting the basics right all the time. I think I've seen, seen that probably on Instagram somewhere, but um, it's, you know, it's something that, that, that I believe in. Well, and Jamie too, I think this is why I get so frustrated about this in dryland in particular is again, if I think about a swim coach, I know in their mind, 
for swimming, that's how they look at it, right? They think about the basics, the streamline, the body position, you know, how, how, how are you holding water? So it's not any different than what your focus is on a coach in the water. But again, it goes back to there's either a lack of confidence or knowledge, I feel like, that they can then do the same thing on land. And I think there's compensation for that by, oh, where's the flashy exercise? What's just something to get the kids excited? And I think that's the most frustrating thing is you don't do that in the pool, right? I'm sure there's some point where you're doing stuff and the kids are like, you know, okay, well, we did this set last week. And you're like, well, we need to do it again because we need to get better at it. So you're taking the same approach in the pool. You need to do that on land too, but you need to either help yourself knowledge or confidence wise, invest in yourself in a, as a coach, because then you're going to be better positioned to help your athletes. And that's what every coach would want to do. Yeah. I think the world of, of S&C, dry land work, whatever you want to call it, in swimming has grown so much in the last, like, so many years. And I think, you know, some coaches maybe have, you know, jumped on that and they're, they're really super up there and they're providing great programs already. Some coaches maybe missed the train or maybe they're new into the sport or, or what for whatever reason, you know, they're not quite confident yet on you know providing good dry land programs and i think a lot of people still worry about you know we mentioned earlier athletes getting injured in the gym and then missing pool work as a result what tips would you give to coaches to ensure that their dry land programs are designed to to help avoid the injuries now i know there's a big part of this in the in the certification so you know some of your kind of key take-home messages from that then i guess just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> so and I'm thinking about specifically uh, an exercise that always comes to mind as a good, bad example, quote unquote, is, you know, those stability rubber balls and you see athletes trying to, to kneel on them or stand on them like, oh, that looks so incredible, right? I always look at an exercise like that as the risk and reward. So yes, if they get to a point where they're kneeling or standing on it, Okay, that, that is impressive, but there's so much risk in my mind in terms of what could go wrong, especially if I don't have a very well, uh, you know, gifted athlete, right? If they don't have a ton of balance or strength already, I'm just setting them up. Again, it may not be today, it may not be next week, but at some point, it's going to come back and bite you. And I've seen that over and over in programs. So just because you can doesn't mean you should rein in and keep it within your athlete's uh, abilities there, whether that be strength, mobility, power, their, their knowledge, their desire to do it. So one thing about like, especially kids, the age groupers, coaches are wondering, you know, when should a kid lift? It comes down to two questions in terms of when do we put weights in their hand? Are they interested in it? And if they're not, I'm not worried about it then I'm not worried about pushing it on them or, and, or, uh, taking instruction. And are they going to pay attention to that? And if you don't have those two boxes checked, it's not time. I don't care if they're eight or 18, it's not time. Well, if they're 18, we need to have a serious conversation if they're not, you know, at those questions yet in terms of there's uh, other issues going on. But in terms of programming and, and bigger picture stuff, Jamie, I always go back to the pyramid and movement is underneath the pyramid. We got to have movement first. You got to move well. Then we build strength on top of movement. And on top of strength, then we work on power and or endurance, depending on this is where we can get race specific, right? So if you're a more 50 guy, I'm obviously more on the power side of that. 
And if I'm a miler open water, I'm more on the endurance, obviously, but you still need both, right? 50 is still going to die a little bit at the end. You still need some endurance. Yeah. And if you're an open water swimmer, if you're trying to close the last hundred yards, you still need some power. So it's not like an, an and, or it's a combination of, but both of those endpoints. And again, coaches, I feel like get stuck looking at the endpoints too often. I want more power. I want more endurance. Well, if you haven't given your kids the ability to move well, if you haven't given your kids the strength, then you're never going to have greater power, greater endurance. And if you do, it's going to come at a cost. And at some point, injury is going to be what you're paying that bill for. Mm -hmm. So set it up in terms of movement, strength, then we can work on power and or endurance, whatever it needs for the athletes. Fantastic. And there's you know loads more great little nuggets of information like that within the certification. So, you know, I'm currently going through a certification and, you know, I, when I, when I first recorded with you, I think it was September time, we sat down and, and recorded an episode for the series two of the podcast. Um, you know, I then, I then signed up, signed up for certification with, you know, with an open mind thinking I want to, I want to better myself, you know, and part of me thought, well, I've done a, I've done a degree in, in sport and exercise sciences. So, you know, maybe, it won't all be brand new stuff to me and I'll know quite a lot of it, but it will just be nice little bits of revision. Um, but you know what? I was really, really surprised once I started getting stuck into it in terms of, you know, how much new stuff for me there was in there. And I class myself as someone who's you know, relatively well educated in the terms of, you know, exercise sciences, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I've paid for my university degree and they missed out a whole lot of stuff that perhaps I should have known. Right. So just, you know, and let me be really plain and clear here. Chris is paying me no money at all to say this. Um, but you know, from my experiences being on, on the certification, it's, it's really helped me kind of figure out where I'm headed with my dry land uh, programming for my swimmers. And, you know, I would advise coaches for sure to, to look into, to signing up to it. And Chris is about to give you, all the information on how you can do that again. We know we already mentioned it at the start, but I'm just going to give you some more information now. Yeah, Jamie, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast and, and helping get the word out. And I appreciate that at, at the start, before you got into certification, you're thinking, okay, I don't want to hurt Chris's feelings and say, you know, how am I going to say like, oh, I learned something, right? You're thinking, <laughs> all right. So I appreciate that, that, and that makes me feel good in what we've created, that we really wanted to create a valuable resource. A year ago, I was literally thinking, okay, now's the time. I have to do this. I've been putting it off for years. I've been saying, I don't want to do another certification. I don't want to create something like this. I didn't think it was helpful. And now a year later, seeing the hundreds of coaches that have gone through and then hearing it from someone like yourself who has a degree in exercise science, has a background. It's not like you don't know a lot of this stuff, but the fact that we were able to make it so swimming specific, that's what it seemed like so many people were missing out on. They had exercise degree backgrounds but they didn't have swimming specific knowledge of how do I connect those dots? And you're still kind of having to figure it out on your own. So I'm glad that, you know, you had that impression on it. Surgestrength.com is our main page. And then slash certification is where you can look at that. Another thing I'd say too, Jamie, even if you're, you're all right, I'm not quite sure if, if Jamie or Chris has sold me and getting in the certification, I am doing a free webinar in a few weeks it, you can go to the process of dryland.training, not.com, the process of dryland.training. And I'm going to show you how to write a dryland workout in less than 10 minutes. 
That's effective. I'm going to do it live. So I'm going to need your examples. So come on, make sure you attend live. And I'm also going to just go over kind of bigger picture stuff, what we've talked about here, Jamie, of how do you think about the process that you go through to do dryland? And the reason I call it a process is you need to have steps that are repeatable, but you also need to have things that can adapt throughout the season. I don't want to give you a rigid structure because a one size fits all does not work because especially this last year, if we've learned anything, it's everybody is not working in a one size all situation. Maybe we're in the water one day, maybe we're not, maybe we have access to this, maybe we don't. And so if I can show you a process and some steps to follow, and then you as a coach can figure out, all right, what's my situation? What are my swimmers that I'm working with? That's how it's going to allow you to have results, not only that season, but in seasons to come, because you're going to know the steps to go through again. And it's not just as simple as, you know, rinse and repeat, but knowing the steps and then knowing, okay, now we've arrived at this point. I need to go this direction now because last season, so, so-and-so is different or, you know, whatever the case may be. And having something that you can have knowledge and confidence as a coach that I have something repeatable I can do season after season. That's where you underestimate how powerful and strong you can get your athletes. So Check out the webinar for free, the process of dryland.training, and then obviously our site. But Jamie, thanks for coming on. I appreciate all the work you're doing as a fellow podcaster. I know how hard it is to put these things together and to find time. So I appreciate you for that and having me on again. No, Chris, you're very welcome. It's been a it's been a pleasure having you on on the show again. I um, just want to say a big thank you to listeners for for tuning in and, and for waiting so patiently for this this final episode in this series. If if you're interested in, in the Surge Strength Dryland certification that, that Chris has been talking about today, um, you can find out all the information you need to know over at our website, www.thepoolsidepass.com, and you can navigate easily uh, to the Surge Strength Dryland pages uh, from there. Um, of course, if you enjoyed the episode and you've enjoyed the whole series as a whole, make sure you share it uh, amongst your network of coaches. And don't forget, get in touch with us on social media. We're at the Poolside Pass on Twitter, Facebook and instagram until next time take care